Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Jay Papasan. Um, Jay is a best-selling author uh, who serves as uh, the Vice President of Strategic Content for Keller Williams Realty International, uh, the world's largest real estate company. Uh, he started his publishing career at HarperCollins and has also uh, written multiple books alongside Gary Keller, uh, including a couple we'll talk about today, uh, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent um, that has sold one, over 1.5 million copies and a book you've probably heard of, I think it's one of the best books of all time, uh, called The One Thing, which has sold over 3 million copies. Jay's also uh, just a great friend and uh, a, a fellow Austinite here in Austin, Texas. And fun fact for those who haven't heard it yet, episode number two of the podcast was with Jay. And we talked about the one thing and using the one thing for time blocking. So I was just thinking about this this morning. I'm like, man, since that episode, I've been kicking rocks around the neighborhood and Jay has been selling millions of copies of books. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, how many millions of copies? Uh, Jay has sold uh, books since, since this last episode, which might be, you know, the first time we've had a kind of like a, uh, a, uh, a, a two episodes where millions of copies have been sold in that span, which is kind of a fun little fact. Uh, Jay, welcome. Great to have you here, man. Oh, I'm, I'm stealing that. I'm kicking rocks around the neighborhood. That's a good <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I've never heard it and I love it. I, I think I just made it up. I don't know. Maybe it's just some Southern uh, saying. I don't know. Um, so let's start here. I mean, why books? Why why are they such a big part of your life? And then also the Keller Williams business, like with you and, and Gary, and obviously you have a whole content division inside of a real estate company, which I think most people would say, hold up. Weird. Why is that? This is kind of unconventional. So why books and why is it such a big part of what you guys do? Sure. Um, well, I shared, I've shared with you, like my number one core value is impact. And I love that you teach, you have it right behind you on a poster leveraged impact. And I definitely relay that to a book. There are a few things that give you more leverage than a book in terms of reaching the widest possible audience. And I look at the bookshelves behind me. You can continue reaching people long after your debt. I don't know that that YouTube video or even the TV show will still be out there playing. So it's one of the most durable mediums that has the biggest scale out there. If you really want to make an impact, if you want to reach a large audience, which is not easy to do, right? It's not as complicated as people make it. But so that's books. Um, I started with Keller Williams in 2000, moved here from New York after I left publishing and got married and ended up writing a newsletter for the Gary's then small Keller Williams company. There were 6,700 agents and only 27 employees back then. And today there's like 180,000 in 45 countries, I think. I don't know the latest count, maybe 50. So like the company has grown exponentially, but Gary loves books. Like if you walk into his office, there's books everywhere. There's piles of books on the floor. Um, like he just, we have a mastermind coming up in a month and he just assigned three books. 
Because for him, three books in a month is no big deal. Like, <laughs> oh, all of our agents are like, how? They're, they're probably listening, like, they have to listen to it on audio. And they're yeah. going to be like, how am I going to find 14 hours for each of these books, right? Um, but so he he loves books. He loves learning. And so when we started working together, the idea, he was already thinking about writing books. And I had my skills from HarperCollins where I had learned how books were made. That's kind of how it came together. He's mm. a teacher and a coach. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say it the way I do, like impact. Mm. But he wants to teach the lessons he has to share to as many people as possible. So books has been a great vehicle for him as well. Got it. And so did it start as a content arm and then evolve into book publishing or kind of was it from day one, the vision, Hey Jay, you're going to come over and we're going to write books together that grow the business and grow the impact, all that good stuff. Gary's uh, the consummate entrepreneur. So like I, I, I know his chief of staff and there's probably like 450 binders that represent the entities that he's created and their their minutes and all of those things. So he has zero issue spinning up an opportunity. So like our company, our little publishing company was born. If you look at the copyright for the millionaire real estate investor, excuse me, agent, I had helped publish a book called Better, uh, oh gosh, uh, Bill Phillips, Body for Life. And I remember um, when he was sending me the copyright information because I was an editor at, working on the book and he had a uh, copyright, the 11th level corporation LLC. And I got a chance to ask him, I was like, why'd you do that? He goes, well, we worked with our writer, Mike, and without ever having to talk to y'all, if all of the proceeds are going to the LLC, I can now distribute those based on who's contributing. Maybe it's the people who wrote the book now and the people who are marketing it later. He just wanted, he, he thought like an entrepreneur. So very late in the game, we're writing the millionaire real estate agent. I tell Gary that story. He goes, well, we should copyright our book in an LLC too. How do we come up with a name? And so Relic is actually just Keller backwards. He had just read a, a long article on Oprah Winfrey and her company is called Harpo, which is Oprah backwards. Because <laughs> it works for her. So I might as well do it for me. And that actually led after I think our second book or our second book was in progress. Gary looked at his co-authors, me and Dave, and said, well, we already have the business. Why don't I make y'all partners? Uh, Dave Dave Labor left and I bought him out. So Gary and I are effectively 50-50 in that. But we hold all the copyrights there and then we license them back to our companies. And that's just a, you think about high level strategy. This is not beginner stuff. Um, but it really worked for where he was, the business was, its growth mode. And it also created an opportunity for us to become partners. And now I'm thinking not just mm-hmm. like a writer or a ghostwriter mm-hmm. or an editor, I'm thinking like a partner and an author. Right. Uh, well, and just like, I mean, I know you do a lot of real estate investing. I mean, I've always looked at super successful books like this as a form of of passive real estate investing. It's just the real estate is a book and you have yeah. a backlist and you have ongoing book sales and you have monthly royalty checks that show up. And if you design it right, I mean, most people obviously aren't, aren't doing anywhere the volume that you guys are, but even on a small scale, it's okay. If I sell a hundred books in a month, self-published three years from now, it's a couple hundred bucks, you know, yeah. that's a, an equivalent to a similar of like a three bedroom, two bath, kind of maybe cash flow of, yeah. of like a small real estate investment, which I think is really interesting. You're trading your time and your thought energy, right? To create a source of passive income. And it can really be about as passive as any source of income once it's out there and rolling. 
um, are we work with one small publisher, which is very close to self-publishing. I think we've talked about this. So um, we effectively are the publisher. And even though he's doing a lot of the jobs, like we've, we, we, we take all the risk and we also split the money differently. But his name is Todd Satterston. And he had, wrote a little self-published book called, I think it's called Every Book is a Startup. So he doesn't, he thinks of every book as like a little business venture going out in the world. And you follow the same process. You're launching it and you can get to a place where it can send you reliable income and business as well. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement that's really cool. I'm, I'm scrambling for the unmute button over here because I'm taking notes. I got to get, that sounds like a really fascinating book. I got to, I got to talk to him about coming on the podcast. I've never heard of him or that book. That sounds really He's, fascinating. So Todd Satterston, he wrote the the best 100 business books of all time. And uh, which takes some chutzpah, right? But uh, they're actually got him updating that book now. And uh, he ran CEO Read. Right, one eight hundred CEO read, which was the original business book distributor. Like, if you were an author or speaker, you had to work with them because they could get books to your events, all of that. They were the discount bulk business buyer. So he was the CEO of that for a while before he opened up his own um, private business consulting business, and eventually uh, partnered with the Bard Press, where we were working, and took that over when Ray Bard. That's a long story. All he's ever done is business books. So like, it's really strange really to find cool. someone with that depth of knowledge, right? All in business. Like he's just mm. a business book freak. That's cool. Um, so obviously you've published a bunch of different books. I know uh, before this interview, we were talking about four other books that have sold a hundred thousand copies or more. You've got a millionaire real estate agent. That's 1.5 million uh, over that. And then 3 million copies of the one thing I want to unpack some of these books differently, Please. but I guess maybe with the first one was the first book or first breakout book. Was that the millionaire real estate agent or was that one of the other ones? No, the millionaire real estate agent is the first book we published and um, it had direct alignment with the growth strategy for the company. Gary looked up, it was actually just a project long before we had a publishing department and a publishing company. They asked the question, we're not chic with the top agents in our industry. Like it wasn't Keller Williams. It was Keller who we joke. And it's like, (laughs) how do we become relevant to the top people in our industry? And you know, this, if you're a business person, a consultant, your book can become your calling card. Mm. And you literally can say, I wrote the book on X. Even if nobody reads it, everybody Mm. understands the effort it takes to create something like that and put yourself out there. So it's immediate validation. Mm -hmm. And so no one um, was really addressing the kind of right then the zeitgeist in our industry that salespeople wanted to be business people. And that book, we got lucky. Like that was what we were focused on was masterminding with those agents on how to be better business people. So even though it's got real estate Mm -hmm. in the title, 
Like I was on a podcast uh, uh, earlier this week and the guy goes, that's one of the best business books I've ever read. It's just about a service Ooh. business. Yeah. Like, how do you think about it? How do you grow it? How do you manage it for a profit? And we wanted to do that for those people. So that book, we self-published. Um, I told Gary authoritatively that in its lifetime, it might sell 50,000 copies. Because when we published it, we had about 14,000 agents. And in the first year, because one, it was there was no competition for that book. Like nobody was talking, like salespeople were all about scripting and sales negotiations. That nobody was talking to them about how to grow a business. So we were a category of one and we sold over 100,000 copies. Mm. We had been rejected by close to, I think, 28 publishers. Wow. When we just explored that water and the only one who made us an offer was the American Management Association. And I just said, Gary, I think we'll do better on our own. Um, and I'm so <laughs> glad we did, right? Because we, as a self-published author, you get to pick the title. You get to position the book because you know your customers really, really well. And you get a lot of that control. You don't get the expertise, but you have all of that control that's really valuable. And so it was really fun that fall when we were the number one in real estate for like months and months and all those publishers that rejected us started calling us. Uh (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, people often say, you know, uh, how do you get a loan from a bank? Well, you you need to not need one. Well, how do you get a deal? (laughs) Publisher don't need the deal. If you can sell books on your own, you know, they're willing to give you a deal. How did you sell so many copies of that book self-published, those first 100,000 copies, if you think about that? And then I just looked up the listing. It looks like it, it, on Amazon, at least it's saying McGraw-Hill. So I'm assuming you sold the rights to a publisher at some point. So I guess maybe two-part big question, but how did you self-publish and sell those first 100,000 copies? And then at what point did you say, all right, this makes sense to sell the rights to a publisher? So um, I now have a framework for thinking about it. Um, at that time, like I knew how to sell, uh, we had very limited dis- distribution as a self-published, right? Um, we were working with a small company to do the printing. They were getting those books to Amazon. That was the only channel we were for sell on that first year. Um, but we did have printed books because this is 2003. So like Kindle might've been a twinkle in Amazon's eye, but it wasn't there yet. And so we, they were, it was actually kind of an ugly book. I didn't know the ins and outs of publishing a red book cover. I see that you have one. If you don't get the color right, it can come out kind of pink. Like there's, a, it can be brick red or yeah. red. So it didn't turn out. It was a little pinkish red, but we went with it anyway. Um, we sold it to individual readers, which is what almost everybody thinks about. How do I market this to my reader? But I now know that there are four audiences for a book. And the one that we've done, 50% of all of our sales is like, I I refer to it. My publisher, Ray, taught me a long time ago, people who buy for others. So we reserved the right because we had self-published and we were already doing it to sell cases of 10. We surveyed our people and said, if you were using this to build your team or your office or your franchise, like I think they naturally shipped in boxes of 22 from the warehouse. I said, but what's the ultimate, like a 10 pack? So we had to pay a local warehouse. We still have them and use them down in Buda, just south of Austin. We have a warehouse where they get the publishers and they repackage everything in boxes of 10. And we sell those to our customers who use them as a business building tool. 
Um, no, we created a tool that worked for us and cool. at that time for all the people who worked for us. Mm-hmm. And they would buy it in bulk and then give it away. And we actually would put them on subscription plans, right? Oh. So we'd be like, great, how many copies do you want a month? And they'd be like, I need 10 copies a month. And some big office would be like, I need 20 because in real estate, got new world, agents coming on. There's a, every day you're meeting with people who are getting their license and they were like, hey, here's the book. It won't make sense today, but you want to keep this on your desk. This is your blueprint for how to run your business. And I can oh, walk you through it anytime. That is so, and we also did events. We did, we're a training and coaching company. Mm-hmm. So you know this, if you go and you can fill up a hotel ballroom with 200 people, most people don't blink at spending 99 bucks for a, a day of training. And you can charge a lot more. I just found that if we were training on any of the books, I could always put the full cost of a book on every seat. Every seat would have a book on it. And people would say, I've already got one. I'd be great. Who can you give it to that most needs that book? Yeah, that's cool. And we did a lot of bulk sales through training that way too. Um, Makes a lot I of sense. Four audiences. I'll just wrap that up. So today yeah. there's readers, there's people who buy for others. Those are like 50-50, a huge part of our business. You can market your book to PR, right? Like if you hit, make a hit on the Oprah one free show or get into Reese Witherspoon or whatever, we all know that that can blow your world up in a big way. And that's where the movie rights and everything else come from. I've had marginal to no success with that. Um, Podcast being the one exception. If when we talk in detail about the one thing, podcast was huge there. So we can circle back to that. The last one, and this is really crazy, is you have to make sure that your book communicates to booksellers. If it's going to end up in a bookstore, the bookseller is like glancing at this. Do they know what shelf to put it on? And so we've always been, except for that first year, a hybrid where we work with a publisher to get us in bookstores, but we reserve the direct channels for ourselves. That's been our model from day one. So we've always been kind of half in your world and half in the traditional. Um, if you're in the traditional bookstores, like they screw it up all the time. The most famous story this is a fun story. There's a book called The Physics of Star Trek. And it came out and I think it was like Random House or Bantam was going to make a really big deal out of it because it was this really like, what? Well, how would a warp drive work, right? How would, you know, all those things. And it was really good science, but also very appealing to all the millions of Star Trek fans. Barnes and Noble, they have complete independence, looked at it and they put it in the science section. And there was no amount of talk from the publisher or the fans they could get them to put it by the rows and rows of Star Trek novels that would sell out every single week. So they failed to market it properly to the booksellers, and it really hurt their ability, right, to sell. Like, for me, I have to ask, are we in self-help or business? And I always want to be in business, for me. Mm, Why? um, A friend shared with me the definition of a business book versus a self-help book. And I like self-help books, by the way. Self-help books, 75% of the content is helping you identify the problem, and 25% is the solution. A business book, 25% is presenting the problem and 75% is about the solutions. And I'm pragmatic. I like to write books that people can put to work. And I also will tell you, making a self-help bestseller list is one of the hardest lists to crack. Because when you pop there, we know those titles and they stay on the list forever and ever. Now you're competing with your idols, 
right? The uh, people that, and, and that is just a, when Tony Robbins comes out with a new book, it'll he'll sell like 70 or 80,000 copies in the first week. It is impossible, right, to compete with them on a, on a scale where if you want to place out there in the world. So business, there are weeks when the big, the big guys show up and the big gals show up. Like we had the unfortunate luck of having Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg debut at the same time as The One Thing. <laughs> number two on a whole bunch of lists because oh. we could not compete with facebook but that's that's the breaks it's a, it's a lot less frequent in that category that's mm. i want to i want to win i don't know as big a stage as i can it starts with the amazon categories and then you work mm-hmm. your way up how big where mm-hmm. can i be number one where can mm-hmm. i be number one so that a bookseller says well this is the best book on that topic right and people recommend it Got all it. right i just do a bunch at you so Man, this is so good. I've already got a half a page of notes here. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) we talked about, uh, or you talked about the four audiences for a book and being readers, people who buy books for others. You talked about the cases of 10 idea and how that and subscriptions has sold about 50% of your books. You talked about PR and publicity. uh, And then you talked about making sure that you communicate to booksellers as being kind of those uh, four audiences. I want to circle back um, to... Uh, the millionaire real estate agent. Sure. Um, so at what point did you decide and what was the why behind saying, all right, we've successfully self-published. Now let's sell the rights to a traditional publisher. Can you walk us through that? Um, we looked up and I'd seen this happen a couple of times as a publisher. If you're already successful and they're hunting you versus you getting an agent and hunting them, it's a very different negotiation. And I tried to explain this to Gary, like, because Gary, even then, as an entrepreneur, you hate to give up control of the things that matter to you. And I just coached him. I said, a publishing contract and traditional publishing, um, it's horrible. And, but they, they think anybody who's on the inside knows to cross out almost every clause and write in new things. But if you accept the standard boilerplate, it's just like announcing that you're a rube. And they will take advantage of you and they will own you for a period of time, right? They'll own the options and all of that. So I just said, we won't have a lot of control if we go there. But he wanted to test the waters because to be a national bestseller, the easiest way is to work through one of those big publishers because the New York Times, we have all the nuances of who they think is legit and worth ranking. Um, that helps you navigate that, right? Um, and he wanted that for his company and his book, but we rejected it because if they don't invest a certain amount of money with you, you're going to get very few resources. They have to kind of be on the hook for losing money to really get behind you in the big publishers. So we went our own way, but we also were missing out on all the Barnes and Noble bookstores across the country. Um, it's very hard to get access to an airport bookstore. If you want to do that, it's very hard to sell foreign rights if you're going to go self-publish. You know more about this than me. That was where I believed in 2003, 2004. It might be changed today. Mm. But mm. when McGraw-Hill called, they had a great real estate list and a great real rep. Only, I think it was McGraw-Hill and, uh, oh, I can't think of it. There's only like three publishers that really owned the real estate category. Mm-hmm. But they they knew our topic and they knew our people and how to market to them. So we we did the deal with them. Yeah, cool. And and I want to unpack a couple of different things. So 
one is I love what you said. It's kind of similar to um, Michael Hyatt, I think said this on the podcast or maybe just to me personally, but it's like, I'll use the bank analogy again. He's like, you know, if you borrow 50 grand from the bank, uh, you work for the bank. If you yeah. borrow 50 million from the bank, the bank works for you because <laughs> they need that 50 million back. And so yeah. same with a publisher is if you get a small advance, you work for the publisher. If you were able to get a massive advance, they now in some ways work for you because they really need that book to be successful and they're taking a big bet. So kind of the the amount that you get on the advance being obviously correlated to how on the hook the publisher is and how much they're going to spend marketing the book and all that good stuff. Um Looking back, it looks like maybe you guys did like a two or three book deal um, with McGraw Hill, or maybe there was a re-up or something at some point. We, we gave them a 30-day option where we would submit, uh, like I knew enough about the contracts right, cool. that look, I yeah, I like nice. I like the dance. I'll dance with the person I brought to the dance, right? Yeah. They got us in there. We became a bestseller, a national bestseller with their help. They did a good job on the first book. So I just said, we'll give you the first option. And, um, so I think our next book was the millionaire real estate investor and then your mm-hmm. first home. And each time they had an option on the next one. Got it. And we worked with them right up until we published a book called shift. And mm-hmm. after that, um, the market had changed and McGraw Hill's footprint wasn't quite as big. And I looked for a true hybrid publisher. We had a hybrid deal with McGraw because, mm-hmm. You start with that first contract. We had the right to sell on our own website directly to our people. We'd reserved all of this. Oh, that's it still was a little irksome, right? Like we didn't have complete control of, we'd like to do a custom printing or there's stuff that uh, we just couldn't do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, like, I don't want to complain. They've been great partners through the years, but it wasn't as flexible for us as we wanted. Sure. So we looked at um, the Bard Press, which is really, like I said, it's it's very, it's like 70% self-publishing, but with an amazing kind of business book wrapper around it and expert services. Cool. That's awesome. Um, looking back, are you glad that you you sold the rights to those first couple of books um, the way that you did, or would you do it differently? Would you, would you go Bard Press? Would you self-publish or would you do something different? I think we did the right thing at the time. The only thing I didn't anticipate was at that time, it was very easy to take a book out of print and regain the rights because ebooks weren't really a big deal. Today, a lot of even traditional publisher contracts, as you go in, you can negotiate upfront terms to buy the rights to your book back. And that's not in the old contracts. Before about 2007 or eight, that just didn't, that was maybe superstars got it and they had to sign NDAs, but nobody else got it. So we now have a relationship with those books where like I'm I'm not as incented to want to update them because I know the terms will not be as good and they have no reason to give me better terms because those rights are what we agreed to back in. Mm. Each time we wrote a book, we we augmented it slightly. But by the time we wrote the last one, like that wasn't on my radar. If it was a thing when we wrote Shift, it was a very small niche audience that got that deal. And that's the only thing I would do differently as I I would have had a crystal ball that let me know that they would they might accept that in the future. Mm, sure. Yeah. Um, so let me uh, let me ask about um, fast forwarding to the one thing. I mean. So, uh, you know, it's easy for someone to kind of discount the success of the millionaire real estate agent, the millionaire real estate investor, or, you know, even a certain extent shift or your first home. 
Cause it's like, oh, well, cool. Keller Williams wrote a real estate book, sold it all to your, all your agents. Like, all right, well, I'd love to run a nationwide real estate company to sell books. I don't have that uh, fortune. This won't work for me. But I, I, I think when you, when I think about the one thing, it's a lot more mass market. And sure, was there an audience building advantage of like you've got a big company with a bunch of employees and all that stuff? Of course. But really, I think that that book has transcended uh, and become a household name for for all different types of professions. So, can you kind of talk to me about? How did you approach knowing all, all that you learned from the first few books? How did you approach the one thing differently? And what did you do to market it in a way that it's kind of become this uh, perennial bestseller? So um, it was the first book w- that we launched with an intention to try to go for a number one on the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, or New York Times. And um we had been working with our publisher and we got weekly sales reports on our category. So I could see, and we actually looked at, I think two full years of data. They went back and worked with us. It's just, a, it was a two man team. It was amazing what they were willing to do with us. They pulled actual book sales in the category and compared it to the bestseller list. And I grafted out cause I'm a nerd. And I was like, okay, um, if you can sell around um, 1500 to 2000 copies in a week, the chances that you would make the bestseller list and hardcover bestseller list were really high. Not Nothing is guaranteed because you could always have a week where there were 10 books that sold more than you. And if you could, I use that in on the top, there's a lot more variation at the top because when people launch, you know this, big names launch with huge numbers. So the bottom was very stable. So making the list in my mind today still if I can get about 2,000 sales into the marketplace in one week for like two weeks in a row to hedge my bets, I have a really good chance in a hardcover business book of making the Wall Street Journal list. Like that is a formula. It takes a lot more to make the New York Times. So like anyway, our, our analysis showed if we could sell about 40,000 copies in the first month. And I submitted a plan for selling 40,000 copies, which Gary basically threw back in my face. He goes, nothing's perfect. Show me a plan for 100,000. And we leveraged our network, which was larger at that time, right? But we also had the audience from our previous books and we had an email list that we could reach out to. So we just hit all of the all of those buttons. We tried PR. We spent a certain amount of money. I did radio TV. I did radio interviews. None of that really worked. Um, in the beginning, I couldn't see that it had an impact. If it did, God bless them. I just couldn't measure it. And we yeah. really made it around events. Like we made a big deal. This is our first non-real estate book. And I think we did 33 events in a five-month period, traveled around, used our local connections to try to fill as big a rooms. So like when Gary was there, they'd get eight or 900. When I was there, we'd get four or 500. That was a lot of our sales right there. Um, we did a mail out. And this is, again, business. I, everything I'm sharing, I think, is smart for business authors. And everybody else should ask, well, what would this look like in my category? Mm, that's a great disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. I just like I have to. Like, I that's love great. to read fiction, but my playbook might not work there. Right. So I looked up and we sent um, a thousand free copies out. That's expensive because it's not just the cost of the book. It was the mailing of the book. 
Um, but I was, again, Ray Bard was the founder of the publishing company I was working with. And I was working with him. And he goes, you know what I've always wanted to do? And if you're willing to do it, let's do it. Let's send two books to each of these executives that we've identified that might be receptive. And he goes, because you know the drill. Like he had been in Gary's office. He'd been in my office. And you probably get this too. People are always sending you books. And there's always more than you can read. But if you actually love books, like I don't want to give away my copy of your next book. But if I had two, like I'd give one to my editor and say, hey, I just got this. Here's a copy for you. Will you tell me what you think of it? And that was really a nice touch because Mm -hmm. it opened up some corporate sales for us in that first year as well. And anecdotally, I heard the CEOs and founders, they they weren't the ones rarely that read the book during that time period, but that extra copy they gave to a key lieutenant who read it and said, this is terrific. You're going to like it. Oh, that's cool, man! I like that a lot. Um, let's uh, let's. Bring, I knew we're running out of time. I got a lot more can questions. I, can I do than one I got last time. thing on the promotion because yeah. I, I, yeah. I only because I forecasted it. Mm-hmm. We did that for the first year, and then of course Gary goes back to being the CEO and running the businesses. I'm still writing books and doing things. I just made a commitment to do something to actively promote the book every single week going forward, mm. and I've pretty much done that every single week for the last 10 years. And wow. exactly a year after the book started, um, that spring, I started doing it. We launched April 1st, 2013. So starting around February of 2014, I started going on podcast. That was like, you'd think that podcasts were already huge then. It wasn't, it wasn't as crowded as it was today. And I started getting on podcasts. And at first I was asking, how many listeners do you have? And then I said, I don't care. And I just said, every week I had a podcast. And then exactly a year later, our, our sales trend had been going down, 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 down. It was like to like 400 a week, which was our low point after the launch. And then it started to trend up. And I attribute that to, one, the delay for busy people to actually read the book and do word of mouth. Like it could take someone as long as a year to work that to the top of their stack and actually read it and then say, dang, that was a good read. My cousin should read it. And podcasts are a kind of amazing leverage. Like I can give you an hour of my time today. We get to schedule it based on convenience. And then this lives out there in the ether, this conversation, and it gets to cross-pollinate with your fans and everybody else. So I really think that's a great investment of time for authors that and building an email list. Mm, man, could not agree more. And that's cool to see. I mean, we talk about this concept of it's not about the one week launch, it's the one year launch. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's so interesting to even hear you say, hey, this is the 10 year launch <laughs> is doing something once per week for 10 years. And that being, you know, I talk about this in, in, uh, in published is like the concept of like the Toyota Camry versus the Lamborghini. Yeah. And like the Lamborghini is how most people treat their book launch. Shoo, gone in a flash. Right. Uh, and uses up all this fuel, all this energy, but what you've created and what we recommend a lot of authors create is that Toyota Camry, you know, it just keeps going and going and going and going for a long time and keeps selling. Um, I want to ask real quick, cause this has just been on my mind for years. And I've been I'm wanting to ask you this is uh, the airport book stuff, yeah. airport bookstore stuff. I know we talked briefly before the interview and you're like, hey, I'm not sure if, if you can really do this self-published versus traditional published. I remember you talking about the strategy that you had where it was like, all right, we're going to go into Hudson bookstores. 
We're going to do paid placement. We're going to do it on the end caps because that's more visible. We're going to use that to then boost sales. And I'm tracking how much I'm paying. And then I'm tracking how many books we're, we're moving. And then by then that's going to help us get into the bestseller list. Now we're permanently in Hudson bookstores and we don't have to pay for that placement. And just like all the math around that, I was just like picking my brain up off the floor when you were explaining all that. Can you break down... How, Airport bookstores, how'd you do it? Should authors do it? Do you know, has that updated today? Is it only traditionally published? Is there a chance for self-published authors? Sure. I think I think if you're working with um, anyone who can get you into traditional bookstores, right? If you've taken it off of just the, the pure self-published like Amazon platform, I do believe that other distributors like Three Rivers, uh, Two Rivers rather, um, NBN, uh, National Book Network, Publishers Group West, if they're still called that, they may have changed their name. They all have reps that if you want to spend money on co-op advertising, and co-op advertising used to also extend to the book, the, the, the tables, like in Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble stopped that practice when they changed ownership, and they're actually doing better. They wanted the local managers to pick the books for their local audience. But it did take away that tool. So you're paying for placement. Um, we strategically tried to find the airports um, that we felt like would have high foot traffic and high visibility. There's and it's it's just a very arcane world. You have like eight different chains, parodies, and all of this that you know you see the books inside of what should be a snack shop, right? And we we tried to find optimal placement. Hudson's is the most expensive. Um, by far, when we did it, and we tracked how many we sold, which often took phone calls. We had to call them because they don't report. Hudson's reports, everybody else didn't. And Hudson's also reports to the bestseller list, which is unique. So that if you want to be a bestseller, they charge the most for a reason. They have they can sell two or three hundred copies a week if you're on the right tables. That could get you oh, just wow. over that edge. Yeah. And they're selling to people, by the way, who buy for others. The people oh, who are always yeah. in the airports tend to be the kinds of people that have expense accounts. They can buy 10 copies for their team. They don't buy it in the airport, right? There's nothing discounted there, but they go home and they order it and they buy it. Mm. So we tracked it. And I figured that because we were selling, we were selling some copies, we were getting about 50 cents on the dollar back for the books we sold. And as a self-published author, we have better economics, right? And that was the same for me with my hybrid publishing. I don't know. The ratio would be worse if you were in traditional publishing. And if you can crack the Hudson's bestseller list, now you're a bestseller within Hudson's, you get free placement on their bookshelves that are highly visible. Mm. And they, you go from being in like 20 stores to like, Dozens and dozens. I think it's a 77 or maybe it's even more than that. And now it's just, it's a whole different ball game. So for about four straight years, we were on and off the Hudson's bestseller list. And the years that we did that, everything went from, I, this is a loss leader for us. It's like a marketing effort, right? Yeah, and yeah. You don't need to get there to flipping it to net positive by mm -hmm. many, many times. Yeah. Um. Today, they offer a selection where instead of paying for placement in Hudson's, you, when they sell the book, they take extra margin. And that's really attractive, right? If, you're, if you could get that yeah. now, you're just not making very much money, but you're guaranteed not to lose money. 
Yeah. I mean, at that point, who cares? I mean, you're especially if you have a business on the back end. So she's yeah. just using that as a, it's almost like an affiliate that gets paid a cut per book that they sell with no downside. Yeah. Um, and you're getting you just lose the ability to place it in the bookstore. Like I wanted someone to see it from outside the store. Uh, I see. That, so that, that's saying, not now, but we also don't have any downside. We're not writing big checks anymore. Got it. So it's in the bookstore. It's you're not just you're just not able to say anymore. Hey, I want that end cap or that right. display unit that's outside of the Hudson's that people are going to see. Yep. Okay. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's really fascinating. I mean, I'm just thinking back over the years. This is a. I'm like I must have sent you so many pictures of of me in the airport. <laughs> that's like my favorite thing. I'm yeah. like, oh, check this out. <laughs> and, and when I see authors' books, it's just like such a cool feeling. Uh, Doesn't everybody books. love that though? Like I go in and I'll grab it. If they only have one copy, I'm going to flip it around so that it's face out on the shelf. Right. And it looks like right. it's about to be sold out. Maybe I'll fool the bookseller and they'll order 10 more instead of one more. Totally. But like if it's spying out, it's one thing. If it's face out, you have a much better chance of being picked up and sold. If you're on yeah. a table or a display, you keep just adding to the amount of attention you're going to get. I mean, think about it. There's thousands of books in there. Like yeah. you want them to see your book because they're only going to walk mm. out with one or two. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I'll share this one story and then I'll ask you a final question. We'll wrap. Um, All right. Is so I because people always ask how do you get into airport bookstores and or how do you get into bookstores? And I always joke, hey, the 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 easiest way is to just take your book and leave it. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's how funny. you get in there. And so I started doing this thing because I was like, I I this I just think this will be funny. And and so where I I take two copies of my book and in my backpack when I'm going to the airport and I'll put them in the bookstore and then I'll take a picture and uh-huh. anywhere I'm going and I'll just leave them. Uh, and I put them on the end cap or wherever. And, uh, and I, st- <laughs> I don't know to this day, I don't know what happens when, uh, when someone tries to buy it. Um, but, but I just started posting it and it's been hilarious. The reaction that it's gotten. Cause I mean, that's people so don't read, they don't read the thing that's like, Hey, I'm just, this is a joke. Um, just drop it. And they're like, Oh my gosh, congratulations. This is so exciting. <laughs> and it's like my clout went up uh, and it's just been a fun uh, thing. Little so if you're listening, marketing. that's it, good, good gorilla marketing. I love that. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, so if, if, you, li- if you knew the right waiting rooms, you would leave it in a waiting room too, right? Like if oh, you knew yeah. your clients were there, you'd go up and say, you know, I'll put a little laminate sticker on here that says this is an office coffee, but can we just leave, I'll give you a copy so that when people are waiting oh, for the doctor cool. or whatever, yeah. they'll read my book. That's a great idea. Well, well, Jay, I could, we could talk for, for hours on this stuff. Um, I guess closing question, knowing, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give parting piece of advice for the Jay from years ago before you wrote your first book and um, the other Jays out there who are thinking about writing their first book? Well, go back and listen to episode two. If you don't time block and write it, you'll never get there. Uh, the other thing in terms of selling books, which was our topic here, I think the number one thing that people can do that gives them long-term control over their career would be to build an email list. And you're going to be writing about, maybe it's the cutting, you know, the scraps from your book, or maybe that's how you're testing the ideas for your book, just like people would do with an old school blog. And you can do it as a blog too, but it needs to be an email list that goes to people's inbox. They've invited you in. Um, Everybody I know who knows things like you sell 50 copies there for every one copy you'll sell on social. And that, that is lined up with my reality 
I mean, I hate email. I don't want more email. But if I subscribe to you and your list, that is a strong buying signal that I might buy your book in the future. Mm, so grooming great. that list and growing it is one of the number one things that we focus on, um, just so that whenever the next book comes out or the next book comes out, we need to say, hey, folks, we got another one. And it's not dependent on any bookstore placement. Amazon right. giving it the right treatment. I can just direct my readers to go buy my book. Number one right. thing that anybody can do and control their audience. The one thing. I love it. <laughs> uh, so, Jay, this has been awesome. Where can people go to buy your books, learn more about you and what you guys are up to? Well, obviously, they're available in all fine bookstores. But if you want to get kind of the most recent me, I'd go to the one thing.com with the number one. Um, there's usually great content there that we're giving away for free. And uh, you can find out whatever events that we're doing around the book. I still actively promote that, usually at least once per week. And I'm going to count this one because we sure. <laughs> All right. The one thing I, I mentioned this at the top, but I've been one of those people that buy for others. I've bought it for everyone on my team at one point or another. We've done book clubs on it. Jay's been generous with his time to come in and do a Q&A for that. I've read it multiple times. It's on my read list, you know, every two years or so reread because it helps me get back focused on what I'm doing. So, and, oh, and I forget, we'll often buy these for our customers to help them focus on the one thing for, which is a lot of times getting your rough draft done. So check out the book guys, the one thing or any of the other real estate books, if you're in real estate and Jay, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. It's always fun. I love to talk books if you can't tell. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast, wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, and then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, so number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.